Hello, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey interview. Today's guest has a varied background, which is one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to doing this. This is not just a typical online business entrepreneur. We've got someone who was part of the Sneaky Sound System, uh, well, uh, I guess a music group. I'm not sure what to call it. It's a DJ outfit. It's a, a pop group in Australia here. You've probably heard of them. Uh, who also at one point was rated the top agent uh, at, by the Real Estate Institute of Australia and presently is more in the uh, meditation niche online and actually has a fairly significant documentary coming out soon called The Stillness Effect. His name is Nick Broadhurst and thank you for joining me, Nick. Thank you for having me, Yaro. So, uh, Nick, we've, we've got different parts of your life to cover here, different segments <laughs> that are all very different by the sounds of them. Yeah. Before I do that, though, can you just tell us what's, what do you do now? Like, uh, where are you at? So basically, currently, I have a company that I've co-founded with my business partner, Tom Cronin. Uh, it's called One Great Find. And One Great Find, basically, the mission of One Great Find is to change people's lives on in various levels, so whether it's professional or personal. Um, and we do that through lots of different means. Um, we currently have an online meditation program called The Science of Stillness and we're creating a new product um, which is related to abundance which is called Flowing with, Flowing with Abundance um, and we have lots of different ways that we touch our audience so it could be um, we've got a magazine in the newsstand, Apple newsstand called Aspire which is more of an entrepreneurial magazine which you know well about Yara, that's how we met and um, we're also making a, well, I don't know what you call it. It's really a feature-length uh, documentary, which is getting produced out of uh, the States next year. So there's a lot happening right now. And, and of, of all these things, is there a, what you'd call a, a day job, like the one that pays the bills and all of these things? Or are you like living off sneaky sound system royalties? All right. Well, <laughs> um, no, look, to be honest... Um, there's two, th actually one thing I didn't mention was we also do retreats. So our business does a more hands-on approach to transformation, which we take people to Bali, um, which, you know, that's an element of our cash flow. Um, but really the online business is where the cash flow comes from. Okay. Well, we should definitely spend some time talking about that. But let's, let's build our way up to the online business since it's the most current project and, and go back in time and uh, look at where you came from. So, so Nick, you're obviously an Australian. Um, were you born yeah. and raised here? I actually grew up in England um, in a very posh part of uh, Surrey. Had the very, um, I guess, stereotypical upper-class English upbringing. And um, my father was Australian and he decided when I was about nine that he really wanted his kids to, to grow up in the sunshine. So we uh, moved back to Australia and I've been here since. So how old were you when you came back to Australia? Uh, nine, ten years old, I think. Any uh, entrepreneurial projects at that stage? <laughs> <laughs> be honest, no. I mean, um, I always had that in me. I, you know, it's always something which I was never, I was always different as a kid. Um, I always did things differently and I always thought differently. Um, and I think that was sort of evident in my music as, as a kid growing up. I always wanted to be the, the center of attention, um, always. So entrepreneurial, I don't know, that sort of started to form when I was probably just out of school. 
it's interesting to even hear your tone of voice, Nick, because you know you, you sound like you're talking about a previous version of yourself when you say you always want to be the center of attention. Uh-huh. I can imagine uh, you're a musician, and when you talk about sneaky sound system in a moment, sure, all that sort of stuff, you know, makes you somewhat somewhat famous. And now you sound like you're a yogi, and you're more into meditation, and you know, <laughs> you, you want to step in the background and just, <laughs> you know. Uh, flow and those sorts of things. Are we going to be going through a total, you know, personality transformation in a lot of ways here? Um, look, I think there's an element of that. I think also with the sort of message that our company has, the, the core of our company is teaching meditation because that's something which completely changed my life, and that will we'll get into that in more detail as we get through that whole journey. But um, you know, to be honest, for me, I'm more practical. Tom's my He's really my spiritual mentor and he takes up that more yogi position in the company. Um, but to be honest, I've, I've sort of recognized that in order to do great work for the planet, um, I do have to take center stage to a degree and have to be up front. So it's still present in my life in being the center of attention. And, and obviously when you go and make a, a movie, um, you're taking that to a whole new level. Um, so, yeah, no, I think the yogi element is certainly, it's, it's in our business, but um, Tom and I are both uh, realizing that to do our work, we have to get our names out there. We have to get our presence out there um, to make our work easier. Mm. Okay, so take us from age nine with this desire to be different and, and be a musician. W- were you mm. a saxophonist from day one back then? I actually started playing the flute and quickly realized that it was not going to be very... Rock and roll? <laughs> no, not very rock and roll. And it wasn't going to be... Um, I mean, I had girlfriends from the age of like eight, I reckon. So, you know, I, I quickly realized that the sax was the one to get to if you wanted to get the girls. <laughs> really? So, I did. I did very young. Um, so, I took up the sax at 11. And, yeah, it's funny, you know, music... I kind of I see myself as a bit of a lazy person, which is kind of bizarre. But I like to sort of take shortcuts in life and get to where I want to get to quickly. And for whatever reason, saxophone resonated with me and I was, I was able to pick it up very quickly. And, you know, I remember vividly sitting in, um, I think it was year three, so it would have been about, no, no, so yeah, about year four, so it would have been very young. And I decided to close my eyes and prove to my band instructor that I could play this whole song with my eyes closed. So it was a bit of a show-off, but... Uh, you know, the saxophone came really easily to me and I never really practiced a hell of a lot. I just sort of played a lot, if that makes sense. And it just came easily and, yeah, sort of flowed into a whole career, which was kind of a surprise. So how did that all evolve into, I guess, is your claim to fame Sneaky Sound System as a musician or was there more things leading up to that? I mean, I did a lot of stuff leading up to Sneaky Sound System, um, that was obviously a bit more local, Sydney-wise. But, um, yeah, Sneaky would definitely be my claim to fame, mainly. That's, that's sort of how I'm known. But, yeah, Sneaky was interesting because I ended up going to university. I was studying industrial chemistry, as you do. And, you know, physics and chemistry was something that came very naturally to me. So I thought, oh, well, I may as well do something in that path. And after living on campus and probably... Um, how would I say, experimenting a bit too much, I decided to leave university. 
I'm not, I'm not going to ask you what that experimenting was for. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, dive in deep in the college life, but um, uh-huh. ended up going traveling for a couple of years, and it became very quick. It became very apparent to me that uh, music was where I wanted to be. So when I came back to Australia, uh, things just kind of fell into place. I went out to dinner with a friend of mine, um, sorry, my girlfriend at the time, who was friends with the, one of the founders of Sass and Bide, which is a very big Australian fashion label, an international label now. And she was dating a guy um, called Damon, and, and Damon um, was an MC, and uh, him and two other mates had just started, you know, mucking around DJing and MCing and had this sort of venue going in Bondi, and they invited me down. And so I started jamming with those guys at a place called The Point of View, and very quickly we started a you know a cult following on Sunday nights and sort of started the whole Sunday music scene in Sydney, and um, we named ourselves Sneaky Sound System. And for the next six years, we basically toured and gigged and worked incredibly hard at building a, a live presence internationally. Um, and this is where the entrepreneurial side of things came into it with the music. I mean, the, the normal path for a musician is to hopefully get signed by a big label and get lots of marketing money pumped into you and, you know, get your music out there. The problem with that was that we had these sorts of offers but it wouldn't have been how we wanted to do it music-wise. You know, you do lose control. So uh, we built a studio in Bondi. We hired a great producer and wrote the first album. Um, so essentially we owned the music. And from there, all we needed to do was find a distribution partner and um, retained, you know, a very large chunk of the pie. So we did that and the first album went on to win um, two ARIA awards, which in Australia is the equivalent of the Grammys. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was a wild ride. But at that point, I actually decided to leave the band. Um, you know, it was a very exhausting career. Uh, traveling internationally is sounds amazing and it is amazing you do amazing things you meet amazing people but it is tiring and at that time I had my little boy Leo was born and decided that I wanted to be home so I traded in the rock star life and became a uh, a real estate agent do you have any regrets about leaving sneaky sound system because obviously they've gone on to become even bigger since those days um you know, currently, like I think within the last two or three years, they were had quite a few chart radio played songs um, here in Australia, right? So, any regrets? Well, no, you're right. I mean, Sneaky has gone on to be one of the biggest groups in Australia and um, number one hits, number one albums, the whole you know the whole deal, which is incredible. And one of the reasons I left was that you know I'm very much um, I like to be to a certain degree in control of my destiny. And in music, it's very complicated. Um, you know, you have to kind of decide who's written what part of song and who gets what. It, it's very sort of convoluted. And the way that band turned out, it, I didn't have a lot of control over what I was doing. And, you know, it sort of felt like I was building someone else's dream towards the end of it and not my own. So... To be honest, that's that's the main reason I left, and obviously still on very good terms with the guys. I'm still very good, very good friends with them, but um, you know I didn't feel like I was in control of my destiny, and and that really bothered me. So 
Now, just before we leave the sneaky sound system story part, it sounds like since you went almost like what you'd call the self-publishing route with your music, not getting a large record label to begin with, the the aspect of marketing must have been a little bit more on your own shoulders as a as a group. Did you, because I'm trying to date this as well, the internet was around in sort of the 2000, early 2000s when you were doing all of that. Did you have to manage a campaign, like hands-on, or, or did your distribution partner end up doing the marketing? You know what, we, we grew quite organically. I mean, we did do a lot of marketing, but the internet did not play a major role at all, to be honest. Um, a lot of our stuff came from word of mouth. So we, we, we created a very strong presence in Sydney, so we were really you know, the act in Sydney to go and see at that time. Um, so if you wanted to go and have a party and, you know, have a good time until six in the morning, that was us. Um, and we were very, very quirky with our marketing. And this taught me something from the very beginning. The marketing was, was high quality, but it was very quirky. So it always stood out. So all of our posters and postcards and all the things you do were, you know, they were very different. So we would trying to think of an example, um, you know, we would take um, sort of almost cartoon-like uh, images of horses running along and put our heads on jockeys' um, bodies and have the four of us racing horses, for example, like really weird stuff so that it doesn't look like the normal music thing that, that's normally done. Um, and now that, that worked really well. We were very well known as being, you know, cool and quirky um, we also developed a presence by doing, you know, bigger self-organized live acts. So we would put on parties, which became incredibly sought after, always sold out. So at venues like the Basement in Sydney, we had a party called Join In every month. Uh, we, we have, and still the boys are still running um, icebergs on New Year's Day, which is in Bondi, um, which is, you know, a very high-ticket New Year's Day party. So we started doing marketing more around... Um, you know, our live element, and that just grew. So we started getting gigs in different parts of Sydney, different parts of Australia, and then internationally. So it really was word of mouth. Okay. So I'm thinking there's not a lot of, I guess, foundation, you could say, for what you would then do, especially because the next thing you jumped into was real estate. So that, this is random. So <laughs> how did that happen? Well, you know, I left, obviously left university. I didn't have a degree. Um, I jumped into music and obviously had experienced some success, but um, making the jump out of music, I had to really find something that I could be self-sufficient at and create the amount of revenue that I wanted. So it was completely determined by me. Um, I mean, so essentially I've never really had a job ever. Um, so the real estate, you know, you, you basically work off a commission-only basis. You earn what you make. Um, so I kind of liked that. It, it was really very high pressure. You know, to go from nothing to support a family and mortgage and all those things you have to do. Um, and, you know, I quickly grew, quickly grew that career to something which was, you know, a high six-figure income. And, yeah, it was a wild ride, but it was incredibly hard work and there were some scary times in the, in the beginning. Um, but, again, I sort of figured out shortcuts of how to get there and, I guess, um, yeah, take the quality approach and I managed to carve out a niche for myself um, in the high-end market, which really had never been done before at my age and managed to sell, instead of, instead of selling 30 or 40 properties, I could sell 10 or 15 and make high six figures. So, yeah, I sort of figured out a process to make the whole thing work for me. 
How did you do it, Nick? What, what was the secret? You know what? From the very beginning, mindset was massive. Like I cannot, cannot express enough to anyone who's in business of any shape or form that, and I know that you talk about this a lot on, on Entrepreneur's Journey, but mindset as a salesman especially, and look, we're all selling something at the end of the day, regardless, even if on the internet, your mindset is what comes across in your marketing. I figured out that I had to become a very productive and very positive person because people had to like me to do business with me. So, you know, I developed a system early on which really helped me stay focused. This was before meditation. It helped me stay focused and, um, you know, flow through the demands of the daily life in real estate much more effortlessly. Um, so the system basically was I needed to, you've probably heard similar things before, but I cut out all news of all forms, um, including newspaper and radio. So since about 2004, I've never watched the news. I've never watched the newspaper and I don't listen to any news. As soon as the news comes on the radio, if I'm listening to music, I turn the radio off. And, you know, I quickly figured out that the news is a huge source of negativity. And personally, you know, I don't need to know who was murdered in King's Cross, even though it's in my neighbourhood. I don't need to know about the person who was run over. You know, this sort of stuff might be important to, you know, who it's happening to at that time. But in terms of my life, what I need to do is stay in the most positive mindset so I can have the biggest influence on this planet. Now... If something really important happens, I always hear about it, always. Um, so the news was one thing. Um, I started walking just for half an hour each morning straight away when I got up in the morning um, for exercise, just purely to get my mind into you know, the right mindset for the day. Um, I started drinking two litres of very pure water a day just to nourish my cells. And you know, I, I figured that a litre of water is like having three cups of coffee, it gives you a lot more energy and it's a lot more clear thinking. I cut out all forms of stimulants, all coffee, any alcohol, uh, sugar, anything in my diet that would affect the way I felt during the day. So your wheats, the main ones, wheat, dairy, um, sugar, alcohol. Um, so I felt a very clean way of living and that kept me very focused. I decided every day that I would do something nice for someone else. So that was either giving money or just giving a smile or giving a hug. So giving gratitude or giving uh, thanks to someone else. So that sort of made me appreciate what I had in my life. Um, I read at least half, half an hour a day of something inspiring, whether it's a biography or autobiography um, or listen to something online or watch something online, just something which you know, kept my spirits high. Um, so I developed that sort of system. I think there's more to it than that, but I can't quite remember at this point, but I'm still doing it naturally anyway. I developed a system which kept me so focused and so likable that people, you know, they wanted to do business with me. Um, if I had to nail it down to one thing, I would start with mindset. The second thing was the 80-20 rule. And I learned this very, very early on in the real estate business that if I looked at my clients, there would be 20% of my clients giving 80% of my headaches always. So the low-quality clients were really hurting. You know, they were taking up all of my time. And they were producing very little result in terms of money. Um, 
So I decided that in, in terms of real estate, I didn't want to be sell, you know, running around on Saturdays trying to cover 10 properties. I wanted to cover one or two max and go for high price. So I started trying to aim for those sorts of properties. And of course, you know, it takes time. Um, I started getting a little bit of traction after about 12 months and another company noticed what I was doing, uh, Knight Frank, and they specialize in high-end property. And they approached me to, to come and join them and start the residential business in Knight Frank in Sydney, um, which globally is, is a high-end residential powerhouse. So I started that with another gentleman, uh, James Hall, and um, I saying no to any property under $3 million. So, you know, that was a very scary time and the first 12 months were very lean for me because when you start saying no to business under $3 million, <laughs> you really are carving a pretty fine niche. But um, after 12 months, I found myself with, you know, more business. Um, after 24 months, I found myself selling um, an average price of $7.4 million, um, averaging around personally about $70,000 per sale. And I had incredible clients who, who adored my work. They loved what I did. Um, they loved working with me and I loved working with them. And, you know, it was not a good market. You know, I work, I've only worked in bad markets. Um, yet I managed to find people who were realistic, who believed what I said, you know, realized I was authentic. Um, that's what I attracted. I, I attracted authentic sellers and managed to sell the properties and, um, and as a result, you know, I moved towards really the pinnacle of that, of that whole space, which was selling, you know, towards the sort of $20 million properties. Um, and yeah, life was, life was pretty good. And you managed to win yourself this award as well. How was that determined? So basically, they look at um, pretty much all areas of what you do. So um, they look at testimonials from clients, they look at your marketing. I look at your results, so look at pretty much every area of what you're doing and you have to be nominated and I was nominated by a client at the time and really what won me that award was my marketing. So instead of trying to, as I said, you know, having that high turnover approach, I would spend a whole day working on one property just photographing it with my photographer and the photographer I used, they, used, they worked exclusively for me. They normally only worked for Architectural Digest and Vogue Living and all these beautiful magazines. So, you know, I'd take my suit off and I would move furniture around and take paintings off walls and put flowers in. I would, do, I would get it my hands dirty to make the properties look incredibly good. Um, so my marketing became a real strong point. You know, people loved the marketing we were doing. The photos just looked incredible. And when you're running big full-page advertisements in major um, newspapers, you know, it really starts standing out. Um, I also started developing really strong relationships with key media partners, which, you know, this works for anybody in any space. So pretty much any house I wanted to become featured as, say, House of the Week in the Sydney Morning Herald, which is the main, that's, that's what you want. You know, it's like a full-page story on that house. Um, I could pretty much get every single one every time. Um, which would bring, you know, it's equivalent of about $20,000 in marketing. It would bring a whole slew of different buyers through the house. So um, the marketing and developing key partnerships was a key part of my success. Um, but also, obviously, testimonials and people liking the work I did is really what helped me win that award. 
Okay, so it sounds like it's about three years to get to that point in real estate. Is that right? Uh, it was... I started real estate. I had, a, I had about an 18-month crossover in music and real estate, which was incredibly difficult. I used to fly in you know, 6 a.m. from another city after doing a gig until 4 in the morning and start working at 9. Um, Ew. <laughs> you must have been tired and what about your family? <laughs> Yeah, look, it was tough, and it was one of those things I had to do. You know, I had to, I had to merge the two. Um, so yeah, look, I started in two thousand and four. I had a crossover for a couple of years, and then went full time into real estate in '06, and I won the award in '09. And then you probably quit, knowing you, <laughs> the pinnacle, right? <laughs> I, it's, I reached that pinnacle in '09, and and it wasn't just real estate. I had a lot of things going on personally. Um, and this is, you know, I think this is a crucial part of my story is, you know, what can be seen as, I guess, tragedy sometimes for some people um, can become the defining point in your life. What happened for me was I started um, experiencing quite a bit of stress um, personally in my marriage and I turned to a friend of mine, to Tom, who's now my business partner, to teach me meditation so he'd been doing this for 17 years Tom previously you know 17 years ago he had chronic uh, chronic sorry chronic anxiety depression you know he couldn't leave the house had agoraphobia uh, he couldn't sleep he was a complete mess uh, he worked as a broker um, you know worked on extreme highs using drugs and partying and alcohol to you know to navigate that world of, bro- of broken finance that he worked in and um, he had a complete meltdown and, and found one particular technique. He tried everything and found, found one technique which within three months rebalanced him and had him essentially back to normal and then took him on a path to really creating a life which, you know, I'm still in awe of. And, you know, it was all because of that technique. And I became friends with him and he taught me this technique. And what it did was, funny enough, <laughs> This might sound a bit sort of counterintuitive, but when I started meditating, that's when my life turned to shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's for a lot of because people think, oh, wow, you start meditating and things go really well. What happens is when you start meditating, and it's not always, you see, some, some people can start meditating and everything becomes blissful. But for me, it was different because at, the, at that point, there was a lot of irrelevance in my life. Um, the way that I was trying to live, you know, I was earning great money, but I was trying to live above my means. You know, I had a, a $2 million house in Darling Point in Sydney and all these things, which I could have easily afforded a $1 million house, you know what I mean, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so I was creating a lot of stress financially. Um, it was putting a lot of pressure on my marriage. The marriage, you know, the relationship at the time really had come to a point where it had the relationship had served its purpose. And the meditation really gives you so much clarity that you start to see in life what matters and where you need to be. And that clarity for me um, made me realize that where I was at personally wasn't right for me. You know, it wasn't where I needed to be. If I wanted to hit the sort of highs I wanted to get to in life, things had to change. Um, As a result, my health, believe it or not, deteriorated very quickly. So it's almost like the universe banged on my door and told me to wake up. 
right? So I wasn't even taking it very seriously meditation. I was doing it maybe once every couple of days. But as you start refining your life, you know, it's amazing how this might sound esoteric, but the universe, the universe tells you what's going on. And my, my health deteriorated. I got meningitis, um, which I believe was brought on by stress. And I was in hospital for, for quite a long time and I couldn't work for a few months. And I really wrecked my body um, through working way too hard, um, through having a stressful personal life. And I came out of that experience and I realized that if I wanted to you know, get back to where I was or even better, I needed to, to really live a point of balance in my life. So I took meditation more seriously. Um, at this point, my marriage had essentially fallen apart. Um, and I started meditating and my career, um, believe it or not, got better and better and better. So I'd won this award, but financially, once I started getting more clarity and trying to live more effortlessly, I basically almost, I'd say double, almost tripled my income in 12 months, which was crazy. So the sort of income I had was, you know, something I never dreamed of. And when you go on that sort of journey and you're given a tool that changes your life that much, um, it's very hard to ignore it. So even though my marriage had, had fallen apart, you know, I had a lot more happiness in my life. I attracted the most incredible uh, partner, Alex, who's we're still together and she's an incredible person. Um, we have, a, you know, a beautiful relationship and I attracted this incredible woman which – I couldn't have done before I started meditating because I wasn't in that sort of space in my life. And by the end of 2010, so a year after the award, I basically, um, even though the career was good, I almost crawled to the finish line, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I really felt like I needed to do more with my life. And I was out there making a lot of money for other people, um, but a lot of the time at my expense. So it was time to really start thinking about what I wanted and the life that I wanted to create for myself and I left that in 2000, at the end of 2010. So you no longer were a real estate agent and you decided to become a... <laughs> I don't know what... I don't know. <laughs> What's the label? What's the box? You know what? I really am an entrepreneur. Um, that's how I define myself because I, I do a lot of different things. Um, but really, the core of it is my company, One Great Find. And the mission of One Great Find is to change millions of lives across the planet. And I touched on before the different vehicles we have. So I'll probably just go through each of them in a bit more detail, if that's good for you. Yeah, sure. Well, maybe if you could do it in a sort of chronological order, because I can imagine, so you've, you've taken meditation into your life, you've gained clarity and focus, you've then applied that to, it sounds like, your finances with in real estate and you were making more money there. I'm kind of curious actually how, you know, what, what meditation showed you that could help you make more money since you're already the top agent. Like uh, you, if you're selling $20 million, did you jump to $50 million houses or something like that? And then after you left that, like... I mean, you're an entrepreneur. Are you thinking, I know, I'll just start spreading the word about meditation and sell information products on it. Is that you know, the kind of doors you were opening? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, look, the, I get, there's a big misconception about meditation. For me, it wasn't about becoming a spiritual person. For me, I had a tool which gave me so two 20-minute sessions a day 
gave me the equivalent of an extra eight hours sleep. It's scientifically proven. Um, so literally I just had this incredible coping mechanism that, that kept him balanced. Um, so essentially the way that it works is, and this has all been proven and validated in science, to give an example, in a normal day's work, a normal day of existence in the modern world, we would build up, say, 14 units of stress, right? Now, sleep, a good night's sleep, seven, eight hours, traditionally would remove, or normally for most people, would remove about 10 units of stress. So each day, essentially, we're building up, we're, we're adding, compounding four units of stress every single day because sleep as a mechanism for removing stress in the modern world um, doesn't work for us very well. Now, 50,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, it'd be quite different. Sleep was a, was a very good mechanism because there was a lot of time relaxing and, and eating and, and socialising. But in the modern world, we don't have that. We are in a state of complete overwhelm with a lot of information. So one 20-minute session, meditation session, removes four units. So you, effectively, you're back to neutral for the day. Now, in the afternoon, you go and do your second one. What you do is you're, you're removing four more units of stress. So you start to actually start chipping back into the stress you've accumulated through the years. And what this does is essentially remove, um, how would you describe it? Uh, through life, you build up a lot of stuff. You know, people have issues. People, stuff sticks to you. Experiences stick to you. Um, negative experiences, painful experiences, they get stuck to you energetically. What you start to do is you start peeling that off. You start removing the layers. And in more esoteric language, I would say you start getting back to more of the core of who you are as you start removing all these layers. You start getting more, you start becoming more light. Um, now, as I said, I keep saying this because I think it's important. I'm, I don't speak in esoteric terms, but I think it's, it's quite interesting to hear from me, a normal person, um, trying to define a spiritual path in a very practical way. And for me, you know, we, we hear terms like enlightenment thrown around all the time. For me, you know, peeling back the layers is removing a bit of darkness. So each day you're removing a little bit of darkness, a little bit of um, dirt that's stuck to you, and you become more light. That's how I define enlightenment. And in the process of doing that, you really get very clear on life and what you want. So as you remove those four units of stress each day by doing two sessions, you start having physical effects. You start um, reversing your aging process. So I'm 34 years old, yet um, biologically I'm actually 22, right? So you start feeling better physically. In simple terms, meditating makes you feel frigging good. <laughs> right. You know, we don't have to overcomplicate it. It's, it's not about sitting down and, and stopping the thinking process. For me, it's a stress removal tool. And by doing that, you start attracting so much um, goodness in your life. So everything that I'm doing now, my partner, my son, um, abundance, everything I put down to the fact that, you know, I live a, a life which is very much in flow and much more effortless and I attract the right things in life. And that will become more evident when I talk about the movie. So I had that experience and really what I wanted to do was just put out an info product that taught people how to do it. Um, that's how our company started. It started as one info product, Science of Stillness, um, which really does change lives. It's an incredible program. Um, people, 
you know, we were always touched by the effect that it has. And it's not us, it's just the technique. We're just making it much more accessible. Okay, so it, it sounds like you had a product that you obviously believe in and had experienced yourself. So that's, you know, step one. Prior to this, though, you weren't really an information marketer online, were you? I wasn't. And I had enough, um, I luckily had enough sort of money behind me to buy myself 12 months at least, or about 12 months to dive into it. So mm-hmm. I kind of said, um, listen, you stay doing what you're doing in the finance world. I'll jump out and I'll dive in deep and I'll learn about it. And I had read um, the four-hour work week around that time, which I'm sure almost everybody on this call has read. And what it taught me was, you know, the 80-20 rule in, in more detail and, you know, hacking or shortcutting your way to success. So I started to really focus on um, the key areas of internet marketing that mattered. And I realized very early on that if you're going to be successful in internet marketing, you have to become your company's best marketer. So I think in the early stages, it's, marketing is not something you can outsource. It's your message. You know it best and you have to take it out there. And we made the mistake by trying to outsource that early on and it failed miserably. We spent a lot of money on this expensive funnel and it didn't do anything. The minute we brought it back in and we made it much more about us, um, not about us, sorry, but more from us, all of a sudden, you know, we started converting like crazy. So, you know, I just dived right in. I bought a lot of info products on internet marketing. Um, I guess learned the basics and then learned what was really essential and just got my hands dirty and just started doing it. Can you tell us, uh, well, two things. I'd like to know what exactly you did, but before you do that, what the information products, is there one or two that was of for our work week being one, but was there any other you can, you know, mention you might have come across? Um, you know, like most people who get into instant marketing, they probably buy way too many products. <laughs> yep. Um, and sadly, I think a lot of products that I bought were, were junk, complete junk. Um, and I think that's slowly getting filtered out of that space because people are seeking quality. But I think that if I had to narrow it down, I'd, I'd probably pick um, Video Boss by Andy Jenkins. Okay. Very powerful um, because video is full online. If you're not doing video, then you should be, full stop. Um, and that taught me the basics. So I can whip up videos into, you know, like really quickly. I, I know all the tools. I know how to how to craft a story. You know, Video Boss gave me a really um, an incredible host of technical skills plus story writing skills, all that sort of stuff. Um, and also Jeff Walker, the product launch formula. Um, I've never followed his formula to the letter, but I've pulled a lot of elements out of that which have really made um, a big difference. And I should mention early on that I did bring on a mentor and – you know, I think if anyone can do this, can reach out to someone who knows a lot more than them, who has, who's had the success, that is incredibly important because the people they introduce you to and the concepts becomes a huge shortcut for you. And this is what happened to us. So I started working with uh, Jason Moffat. I don't know if you know Jason. Yeah, I've heard of that, Jason, yep. Jason, the reason I like him is he's a very authentic dude. You know, he's just like me and he's just a cool dude and he didn't really wasn't into the whole slick internet marketing talk. He was just into being more authentic, and that sort of grabbed me. And I approached him, and admittedly, I did pay him 
um, as well to to come on board as as our mentor. But that exchange has been paid in droves. Really, it's uh, it's nothing. It's minuscule to what you get out of it, and it's not so much the technical stuff. It's just the the paths that you get led down. You might get introduced to a website or a person or an event that you would never have come across, and then you. From that, you, you, you go down a whole new path, which, which opens up, you know, so many opportunities. And for us, one of the biggest things that happened, that happened to us is we got told about a company by Jason called Mind Valley. Now, Mind Valley um, are in the same sort of space as us; they're into personal transformation products. And we just started watching what they're doing, and as a result, we came across an event called Awesomeness Fest. Last year, that was in Mexico. So we turned up to Awesomeness Fest. Um, which is an invite-only interview um, conference that was in uh, Maui. Sorry, did I say Mexico or Maui? It was in Maui last year. Okay, you said Mexico. Mexico this year, Maui mm-hmm. last And we turned up with our product, and we had a product just built, but we hadn't really start, launched it yet. Um, we'd never sold anything online. We didn't know much about internet marketing. And, um, you know, we were very new to the space. We know, didn't know very many people. So we kind of just got there and, and Tom and I have this saying that we just are always love cats. If you've read the book, um, oh God, I can't think what it's called. Love cats, love cats. Give me one second it'll come to me. should Google it. Hang on. It's important because I really highly, highly recommend that everybody should read this. So give me one second. I've got it. It's in Evernote, of course. Hang on. This well. is... It's by the cure, according to Google. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's actually love is the killer app. Love is the killer app. That's a book. Yeah. Okay. Anyone who wants to um, understand what a love cat is, or, you know, let, you can dive into it in the book. But essentially, you just get out there and you just spread the love. You know, you just you're really open and. and people you know, just love cat and it's getting very uh hippie movement ish here nick <laughs> you know we just got there and we were just like you know what we're just gonna have a lot of fun connect with people authentically help out where we can and not ask for anything so we did that at the first awesomeness fest we connected with the company very closely um and as a result ended up visiting them in kuala lumpur um, which is the headquarters of mind valley uh last uh, beginning of this year sorry and, you know, develop some good friendships with people at the company, which to a degree was quite strategic as well because we know that to get to Vishen Lakhiani, who was the founder, you know, we need to get to the staff as well. So we went and hung out with them and were invited to do a talk at their headquarters. When their talks are pretty well known. You know, they've got a big audience. They film their talks and they put it out there. It's kind of like a TED talk. Um, so we became very friendly with them and, again, um, decided to go to Awesomeness Fest in Mexico this year. Now, when we were in Kuala Lumpur at the beginning of the year, I sat down with Vision and I said, Vision, I've got a photo of me sitting on a plane on the way home from Awesomeness Fest last year. And it's a photo of me writing the speech for next year's Awesomeness Fest. And I said, I'm going to be on that stage. I know it. And the quality of speakers is incredibly high. This year we had uh, Lisa Nichols, who's well known from The Secret, uh, Patricia Arquette, um, just incredible people. And I just said to him that this is going to happen because I put it out there last year that I'll be speaking on stage. I've got a photo of me writing my speech and I'm going to speak. I'm going to do that speech when I get on stage. Um, 
And you know, it turned out that way. So Tom and I ended up as keynote speakers at Awesomeness Fest, which was incredible because, you know, you have an incredibly high caliber audience. And as a result, we talked about our mission, which is to spread stillness or meditation. And at the end of it, we showed a teaser to a film that we've been making. Um, so that's a whole other story. But from showing the teaser to that quality of audience, you know, naturally something's going to come out of it. So we probably have to rewind a bit and go through the movie. <laughs> well, you, you jumped ahead a little bit too for, for the information product. I mean, you said you work with Jason Moffat. Uh, I, I don't want to get too bogged down in technicalities here, but was this a case of just let's set up a website, a landing page, buy some traffic, build an email list and tell people we have a, an ebook? Is that what you did or, is it, or a video course? Like how did, how did it all you know, come out as your first product? Technically, um, originally it started out as a three-part video, uh, uh, sorry, three-part video funnel. Um, that cost us a lot of money and converted like, so that's my first lesson is create things on the fly, prove them first, and then worry about finding it later. So don't worry about the bells and whistles straight away. Just get something out there and get good at testing. So get good at knowing the key numbers. And I'm sure there's different um, levels of internet marketers on the call, but really just know the basics. You know, earn, figure out what your earnings per click are. Um, if you're doing um, cost per click, then you obviously need to figure that out as well. But look at your traffic, look at the conversions, look at the just look at the very basic statistics um, for any any page that you have, and make it better. So the first funnel, the three part video funnel, failed. Um, Why? Well, again, we outsourced the marketing, we outsourced the copy, and it just wasn't coming from us. It wasn't authentic. It didn't feel good, and I think that came across in the video, videos. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So we thought, you know what? Let's um, jump on this webinar craze and develop a webinar funnel. But let's, this time, let's write it ourselves the way that feels more authentic and natural. So we did that, and you know, I just checked our statistics for this week, and. Um, anyone can see the webinar. They can go to scienceofstillness.com and see the landing page and, and see how it works. But um, we did the webinar and this week it's converting at 50%, which is pretty crazy. So when you say that, you mean 50% of the people who watch the webinar will buy the product at the end? Yep. Yep. Um, so and, and what's the product? So the product is Science of Stillness, which essentially is an online meditation platform. We take them through the technique that we learn, but then we take them through all the things that we've learned in our life that have led us to being able to live the life that we live. So it's um, how to get the right mindset, how to get the right body, um, understanding the power of the mind, um, nutrition, um, and then towards the end where the spirituality gets thrown in there as well because that's you know, ultimately the, the path for everyone as you meditate is you do become more spiritual. You start becoming more refined in your senses and appreciating you know, the more, the smaller things in life. Um, but really at the very core of it is learning a very simple technique, scientifically proven, medically proven, that can have incredibly powerful um, difference in your life. And that's a video course, basically. Correct. With just, just you and your partner, Tom. Yeah, and it's done with um, keynote and um, voiceover, so images and words. Mm -hmm. um, all the videos are done that way because they're short, to the point, instructional, and they're, they're visual. Um, which I made the videos, time-consuming, but it was a good process. Um, and we manage it all through Kajabi, so if anyone wants a good membership site, um, 
personally. I don't think there's a better one out there than Kajabi, and I don't have any commissions for it, so it's not a plug. But um, just go to kajabi.com to have a look at that. And they're beautiful, uh, beautiful and very robust membership sites. And if you want to use them for your front-end funnels to to create all the funnels, you can do it as well. So it's a it's an all-in-one um, vehicle for launching a product. So you can't get better than that. Okay, so I'm assuming then that's your platform. You've got this product. You've got a webinar for selling it. You, you're buying some traffic through cost per click to get an audience. And I'm assuming you probably have a few other places where you get traffic from. That's a business, right? Business, yep. So that's um, stage one. Now, you, you obviously would have had options once that became a profitable selling product. You could have built out your funnel more, had back-end products and so forth. Or have you just gone to the point where you want to do this documentary and that's your main focus now? Well, we moved into the live experiences. So we, we started doing retreats in Bali. Um, so that became a new product of ours. Um, so I guess we added that to the quiver because that's really an upsell. However you look at it, you know, selling to a $3,000 um, retreat is an upsell. So we sort of developed that knowing that our Science of Stillness audience will be a perfect audience for that retreat in Bali. Um, and plus we get to go on holiday and have a great time and meet incredible people and do hands-on work, which, you know, keeps us very, very grounded. Because when you're stuck behind a computer, you can get, you can sort of sometimes forget the whole point behind doing it. So that keeps us really grounded. So that was our second product. Um, we, at the beginning of this year, we thought, you know what, what would be the greatest, because it's all about leads, any business you do, and Dan Kennedy just launched a product recently called the Ultimate Lead, Genera- Lead Generation Machine, which is perfectly named because any product you do, any business you're in, you have to generate leads and bucket loads of them. And then you just got to figure out how to convert them and maximize them and keep them warm. So we thought, what would be the biggest and best lead? Uh, magnet that we could create possibly what would be the biggest thing that would create literally millions of leads because we're big thinkers we don't want to change a thousand lives we want to change millions of lives and we thought well you know what you look at a movie like the secret which has grossed over 500 million dollars <laughs> um and they were purely online and dvd sales and books they never were in the cinema and we thought well that is a pretty good lead magnet you could say that, yes. <laughs> Obviously executed brilliantly, but we realized that you know the best way to get our message out there would to be, would to, be a, to create an incredibly powerful film. So we know nothing about making movies, but I think this comes back to meditation. When you put yourself in this space of living the flow every day, um, these things tend to just kind of manifest much more easily. So we were going to San Diego for a um, speaking and uh, yeah, a public speaking course run by Lisa Nichols, who's actually from The Secret, funny enough. Um, and we decided when we're there, one of our intentions is to meet our film crew. We had no idea how it was going to happen. We ended up at Jonathan Budd's house. Jonathan Budd is a very well-known um, uh, MLM marketer, um, young guy. He's done probably 13 or $40 million online, really clever young guy. Ended up at Friends house. with Katie Freiling, I believe, too, right? Right. And we met him at Awesomeness Fest. Again, you know, we get introduced to Awesomeness Fest from Jason. We meet Jonathan Budd and some of his friends, James, for example. Ended up at James's birthday at Jonathan's house. As we were driving there, there was a, some promotional work done for Jonathan that was brilliant. 
And we said, wouldn't it be great if we met the guy who directed it? First person we meet is him. And um, we started talking about our project and he basically said, look, I'm born to make this film. I have to be involved. So, right, cool. Okay, that's kind of what we're hoping for. Sorry, this is James the... Sorry, this is just someone who was at the party. Okay. Yeah, so this is just someone who we were hoping we would meet. We didn't know what his name was or who he, you know, if he was going to be at the party, but we liked his work and he just happened to be there. So we kind of, on the way driving to the party, it just kind of happened. You know, we just thought of it and there he was, which was crazy. And then we um, bumped into another uh, film production company at the same party. Ended up employing both production companies. We made a teaser, which is a five and a half minute long teaser. Um, which just gives the overview of the film. And it was incredibly powerful. The first time I watched it, it moved me to tears. Um, when we showed it at Awesomeness Fest, we had you know, a standing ovation and um, you know, people crying in the audience. And as a result, one of the ladies, who was a keynote speaker, um, pulled us aside and said, hey, look, I, I've got to be involved. And basically, why was the next day a big chunk of cash? Like... <laughs> Um, with the intention of what, just, you know, I'm investing or? You know, really wasn't care, didn't care about the, the return on investment. She just wants the film to get made. Right. She's so, like a Kickstarter She's supporter. a Kickstarter. We, we actually had a figure in our minds that we needed um, based on stage two, which is employing the right screenwriter um, and going through the right legal work and getting the right entity set up and having the right consultants, Right. There was a figure we had in mind. I'll tell you, it was $40,000. And of course, just randomly, she offers us $40,000, right? So the way this movie's come about is kind of freaky. Um, and I think, I know that it just could not happen. You know, we're making a film about meditation because we meditate and everything's happening effortlessly because we meditate. It's all kind of perfect, really. Um, and we get off stage and a production company who's at the next level big production company, works with Paramount Pictures, specialise in films up to $3 million, um, approach us and are basically you know, begging for us to do, to do the film. And so currently we're in negotiations with, um, with one of the original production companies and that production company. We've brought on an integrated um, management consultant who's bringing the, all the moving parts together because we don't know enough about the industry. And um, this film's getting made. So... It's, you know, it's been an amazing process. We probably have to move to LA next year. We have um, uh, Moby, the musician who's, you know, randomly Tom ended up at Moby's house in LA after Awesomeness Fest. As you do. Zero <laughs> and Moby wants to be involved and potentially invest and, and um, you know, let us use his music and be in the film. And uh, we have Harvey Larry who um, did the special effects for Benjamin Button. Um, he wants to do the special effects for the film and a whole host of other people who are involved in The Secret and What the Bleep Do We Know, um, one of the biggest authors in the world who's interested in, in being a part of it. Um, it's just come about, come about so effortlessly um, that it gives us great confidence in, that in what we're doing is just meant to be. You know, it's, it's got to happen. This is a film that's important and, you know, it just has to, has to happen. Well, it sounds incredible, Nick. Uh, and hearing the story, the different things you've done over the years, it's they're so varied and they're so 
I mean, they're connected in the way you've lived your life, but if you look at them on the surface, from musician to real estate agent to a meditator and now documentary filmmaker, that that's you know very disconnected if <laughs> just looking at the surface. So I'm I'm very impressed and very inspired as well. Can we wrap this up by just really, I guess, focusing on the listener here? Uh, I'm not. I'm sort of struggling to sort of think of what the takeaway message is from your experience, like what your what your core message is, besides perhaps the obvious, which is to you know, add meditation to your life. But, you know, what do you think, um, even after doing this interview and looking over these things, what's the biggest lesson, in particular for an entrepreneur who might just be starting out in this process to, to not, you know, make the mistakes you made? You know, what, what's your advice? Well, from the very beginning, um, if you have the luxury of have, having meditation as an entrepreneur from the beginning, it is going to make you um, deal with the workload a lot better. Um, so just physically and emotionally being able to deal with the work the workload of an entrepreneur is a huge asset because being an entrepreneur is taking you know it's taking the harder road you are taking a leap of faith um, but the rewards are just so incredibly huge but to have a very simple tool in your life which helps you get through that process you know that's priceless um, so I'd start with that I would then make sure that you have a daily routine of some sort that keeps you very refined and keeps you very positive. So that covers anything from mindset to, to health. And I think staying fit, clean, healthy and motivated is absolutely essential. You know, it's when I get off this call, I'm going to the gym because um, I know that to switch from this mode into productive mode, I just need to switch it up a bit. So I'm going to go to the gym, pump myself up and I'll feel, you know, a lot more vital. So, Make sure you're very fit and healthy as well. And these might sound very basic, but I cannot stress the importance of maintaining balance in your life emotionally and physically. Um, if you can align yourself with a mentor of some type, I would absolutely recommend that. In fact, I would, I would make that a passionate pursuit for anyone out there to get a mentor as fast as you can. Um, it can be a lonely path sometimes being an entrepreneur. You can feel like you're a bit of an alien sort of reaching out to do, you know, different things to all of your friends and your family and people think you're crazy. You know, I gave up my career in real estate, which a lot of people aspired to, to spread stillness. I mean, that's pretty nuts, right? You don't get, you don't get support from people when you do that sort of stuff. So reach out to a mentor. Um, I think everything you do, you have to be authentic. And Yaro, you're the perfect example of this. Your website, Entrepreneur's Journey, is authentic and that's why you're successful for one of the reasons anyway. So be authentic. But ultimately, if you can find something that you're passionate about, and you know, you'll hear this in every single product that you ever buy, make sure that what you're doing you love or you enjoy to a degree. But if you really are passionate about something, it makes it a lot easier. If you can, if you can identify you know, a mission that you have in life and you can align that with some sort of product something that you can promote, um, you know, naturally you're going to be able to talk about it a lot easier and connect with people, like-minded people about it um, from a much more authentic place. So I would definitely, um, definitely focus on that as well. And I want to wrap it up. What would be the final point? Get into music, play the saxophone. <laughs> Have some hobbies and enjoy life. Hi. Really, like aim high. I think it's important to set your goals um, and have 
was going to say realistic. I'm going to throw that word out into the trash. Don't be realistic. It's absolute bullshit. You have to aim high. And I think a smart person when they aim high has logical steps to get there. But if you aim real, to a realistic goal and you have logical steps, then you'll get there, you know, eventually. But ultimately, you're not going to achieve anything which blows you away. Reach for the crazy and put a plan in place to get there. Uh, Vishen Lakhiani in Mind Valley calls them rules, bullshit rules. <laughs> have rules. You know, I think um, trying to make a, a movie is the perfect example of a rule. I don't know anything about it, but just start the process, aim high, have big goals, be authentic, stay true to yourself, stay balanced, and um, keep a positive mindset. Fantastic. And Nick, your websites, we've mentioned a few of them. What are the most important ones to go to? Look, definitely check out scienceofstillness.com. Um, that one, that definitely gives you know, a tool which I would be lost without. Um, that's changed my life. It changes our, our clients' lives. Uh, my friends who who do it, who do this very simple technique, it's very simple to learn, very quick. This is not a sales pitch. I'm just telling you, you know, about something which has changed my life and I hope that, um, you know, people listening are encouraged to take up meditation. Um, so scienceofstillness.com. We also have oneliferetreats.net, which is our um, retreats business. Our um, company website is onegreatfind.com. So uh, check those out and... I'll probably mention a few resources which I found really useful, which I think you guys will love. The first one was Love is the Killer App, a fantastic book to read. I mean, it increases the amount of knowledge that you retain from books and enables you to use that knowledge to further your career um, and your relationships with people. Um, secondly, I would, use, I would definitely read Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. If you've got a company which needs structure, that book will save your life. Um, Another fantastic book, which I'll be lost without, is Getting Things Done, um, the GTD system, um, combined with, this, with the app that I use called Things, which is on my Mac and on my iPhone. Um, that productivity system saves my life literally because I've got about 100 or 200 things a day that I have to do. Um, and of course, if you haven't read The 4-Hour Workweek, read it starting today. It'll get you incredibly excited about this path. And for those who want to actually catch that five-minute uh, sample of your documentary, is that available publicly? Oh, I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish it was because it's so cool. But um, because we've entered into, into contract negotiations, we've had to pull that from public listings. So unfortunately not. Um, I wish I could show it to you. But um, to well, give you an idea of the film, essentially what we're going to do is we're going to show the science behind the technique. We're going to show the stories of Oprah and Moby and Hugh Jackman and, you know, incredible people, monks and people in prisons, kids in schools, but then give the actual collective experience in the cinema. So people will be sitting with their eyes closed, for example, um, watching a movie, which is kind of bizarre. Um, it's going to be an amazing film and, and it's called The Stillness Effect. So keep an eye out for that in 2014. And I can say if you're listening to this in 2014 or perhaps sometime in 2013, there may be a preview to watch at thestillnesseffect.com, right? Yeah, it's definitely just keep an eye on that space, thestillnesseffect.com. There's, there's nothing there currently because we are not in the stage of moving into marketing and branding. We're nowhere near that. Um, but when we do, we'll, uh, you know, we'll have a great website and some more information for you. 
Okay, Nick, fantastic. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thank you for being so thorough in this interview and, and those resources at the end and, and telling your amazing story. And it's obviously only you know, partially way through. There's a lot more to come. And I look forward to seeing uh, you know, the documentary, but everything else you get up to. So uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Yaro. I appreciate it. And for everyone listening in, you know where to go to get more interviews like this, entrepreneurs-journey.com or Google my name, which is Yaro, Y-A-R-O. And you'll also find the uh, text transcript and the notes to go along with this interview from Nick. Thanks, Nick. Thank everyone for listening. And I'll uh, talk to you all very soon. Bye-bye.